Hello and welcome to the Tech Diplomacy podcast brought to you from San Francisco by the Norwegian Consulate General and Open Austria. I'm Grida Behenriksen, Consul General of Norway. Technology has always played a role in human life. Yet over the past decade we have seen this role explode to a degree we can barely comprehend. As tech companies grow in scale, reach and wealth, governments have begun focusing efforts on bringing these new players into the diplomatic discussion. In this podcast we invite diplomats, researchers, civil society and tech companies to talk about anything and everything at the intersection between new and emerging technologies, regulations and its implications. Join us as we explore tech diplomacy. Hello and welcome to the podcast. My name is Kylie Mebust and I work at the Austrian Consulate Open Austria. And I am Emma Blattman from the Norwegian Royal Consulate. We are super excited to be your host for the Tech Diplomacy podcast. Let's get started. So today we have Ada Skarsholt-Larsen with us. She is a fellow Norwegian and VP of Technology Exploration and Chief Representative for DMB California. And DMB is the largest bank in Norway. Welcome, Ada. Thank you, Emma and Kylie. Happy to be here. So, Ada, VP of Technology Exploration. Wow, what does that entail? Yeah, so it's a position uh, that's a part of New Tech Lab, uh, a team within the innovation department in DMB. Uh, we have a group mandate and responsibility to provide a clear technology roadmap using what we call the tech radar. It gives our CEO a clear understanding of what technologies are ready to use, what technologies are ready in one to two years and even further into the future. So additionally, we want to position DNB such that when an emerging technology matures and DMB is ready, we are prepared to meet with all the expertise that we have gathered since the tech first appeared on our radar. So um, as a part of this, one member of the team works from Palo Alto, uh, where my purpose is to create new opportunities to POCs and experiments that ultimately lead to the bank becoming customers of tech companies in the area. Wow, we're truly impressed. Um, as I understand, you're sort of the single one representative that is sent here to California, and that's just a great accomplishment. Yeah. Uh, and so you're fresh off the boat, as I understand. Uh, does the Bay Area meet its expectations so far? Yeah, very much so. I've received such a warm welcome from everyone that I've met, and I really appreciate that. And Americans in general are just so much more outgoing than... Norwegian, I think. I think it's it's a difference <laughs> for sure, and as well as the incredibly opportu- incredible opportunities that, for me personally, as this is sort of a uh, such a new experience, as well as the professional ones. Right. So yeah, and like in addition, the weather has been nothing short of incredible since I came here. Oh yeah, we certainly <laughs> like it here too. Yeah. yeah, the deceivingly cool weather really grows on you. And as I understand, DNB aims to understand the future of money. What does this entail? Yeah, so during the past few years, the way we spend money has changed drastically. It's not too long ago that we couldn't even imagine online shopping, paying with our phone and sending money to our friends and family in the blink of an eye using a single app. So 
in New Tech Lab, we are clear about one thing, and that's the fact that we've never known as much as we know today about how little we know about tomorrow. So uh, our team lead uses this metaphor where if you know what you don't know, uh, you can use a map to find your way, but otherwise there really isn't a map. So we are exploring the terrain and drawing the map at the same time so that we know what questions to ask. Wow, that's that's pretty exciting. So how are institutions like banks thinking about new technologies? And is you know, are some of these new technologies like crypto and blockchain, are they, you know, just a fad or are traditional institutions going to have to adapt? Yeah, so historically our systems for money have changed a lot and it's very much still evolving. And banking has become very complex, but not something people questioned really until 2008 and the financial crisis. So I think people lost faith in their banks and this led to Bitcoin as sort of a protest for the modern society. Uh, Its ultimate goal is an end to banks and centralized currency. Wow, that's, that's very interesting. And you mentioned the, the 2008 financial crisis. And I do remember sort of Norway coming out of that crisis slightly better than, than our neighboring countries. Um, uh, how does Norway fit into all this? Yeah, I mean, even though it did affect the U.S. the most, Norway also had a decrease in trust. But I think when the government, the banks, and the insurance companies work together to fix many of the problems caused by the financial crisis, people in Norway saw that banks were a part of the solution. So what they did was to build a lot of capital to the extent that DNB today is one of the best capitalized banks in the world. So it's a very system-critical bank followed up by a very strict financial supervisory authority. Um, so this has led to Norway having sort of a high trust society when it comes to banks. And to answer your question about how we're thinking and adapting to new tech, I think new technology provide new ways to do payments that's easier and more convenient uh, and so on. And it brings the world forward, uh, not, uh, not always, but most times. And going back to... You know, the whole, we don't know everything and it's very important to experiment, but the bank is still wants to bring our customers all the things we're already very good at, such as customer service, high trust relationships, good advice for customers, etc. So even though we're experimenting with crypto, it doesn't necessarily mean we should go all into it. You know, there's a lot of things we don't know. It's very little regulated, very little individual investor protection. Um, no one really know the future value of crypto assets. So traditional banks have a primary responsibility of protecting the financial interest of our customers. And that's, it will always be the main focus for DMB. I see. Um, and uh, I, for certain, struggle to fully understand what cryptocurrency and blockchain is. Uh, could you expand on that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, it's good that you say that because that's a part of the problem, I think. It's very hard to understand. Uh, but essentially, 
um, cryptocurrencies. It's a digital currency that uses cryptography to secure transactions. So if you want to pay someone today, that money moves very simply explained from your account through your bank, possibly to some other bank, and then finally it arrives to the receiver. But what if you're a person that does not trust banks and you want to remove that middle part? And that's what crypto enables. You have this digital wallet that functions the same as a bank account, and there's no need for a bank to hold and process your transactions. So since the government doesn't issue the money, it's resistant to historical cash crisis like hyperinflation. Um, and in a single sentence, it's decentralized digital money designed to be used over the internet. And it's secured by a technology called blockchain. And every currency has its own blockchain or it's built upon the blockchain of another coin. Wow, so this really is kind of, you know, the platform if you are not a big fan of play, or of banks. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. And, you know, some of the things that I've seen in the news about crypto and blockchain is just, you know, there are a lot of, I don't know if they're unintended consequences or just, you know, byproducts of this technology, but one big one is the harm to the environment. You know, how can banks play any role in either mitigating this harm or, you know, how can we make the future of money with cryptocurrency a little bit less, you know, impactful on the environment? Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't think there's uh, much banks can do specifically about the energy consumption problem. Uh, I think banks should keep on promoting green energy, help financing environmentally friendly sources of energy. And there are companies out there who do sustainable crypto mining, and I hope there will be uh, more and more uh, sustainability in it when it comes to cryptocurrencies going forward. Yeah, I mean, that that's great to hear that there are so many yeah. different companies trying to address this. It's fantastic. Um, and uh, to build on a little bit this cryptocurrency, maybe moving over to a little bit of the security side. You know, I remember this might be a year back or something like that when it, there was this, I don't know if this is a true story, but someone had gotten in on, on Bitcoin specifically pretty early on and probably has like hundreds, millions. Is that the yeah, guy who passed away? Millions of dollars. Oh, I, never I'm mind. not sure. Okay, sorry, I'm like interrupting, continue. <laughs> <laughs> but there's this guy that has, you know, tons of money in Bitcoin, but he's forgotten his password. <gasps> that guy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm not sure if this is true, but. No, I heard about that too. What are some of the pitfalls or dangers of cryptocurrency, both for institutions and individuals? Yeah, no, I think there's there's a lot of them to begin with. It's There's the uncertainty, there's the lack of knowledge, there's a lot of scams out there. It's easy to fall for, for example, an NFT scam. Um, so it's important to be aware of the financial risk associated with the currency itself and just everything around it when it comes to what companies you are giving your money to. Um, and also it's hard to understand often because there's little or no investor protection so if you end up being scammed, you have very little resources around you to help you. Mm. And 
Technically, it's also very hard to protect your own crypto keys on your own. You will most likely depend on a third party, like the Coinbases of the world, mm. which means you need to trust someone, which was in the first place something you didn't want to do. <laughs> so you might as well use Coinbase as your middleman between two traditional transactions. So I think this is sort of where traditional banks can contribute by being the keeper of keys. Uh, because decentralized mechanisms, they solve some problems, but it's very difficult for the average person to secure keys. I see. And uh, are there any major players, I guess, aside from Bitcoin and Coinbase? Know, yeah, uh, to look out for in this field. If you're thinking like the banking field, mm -hmm. I. There's a lot happening in the banking world at the moment. We have the fintechs, which is financial technology that sort of aims to improve the use of banking services and compete with traditional services. Um, there's um, challenger banks who distinguish themselves with the use of modern financial technology and core systems to compete with the bigger banks. And then there's PSD2, a European regulation that enables companies such as Apple to provide financial services using core systems and services of banks like DNB. Wow. So it's pretty wild how different the banking world is today compared to only 10 years ago. Yeah, wow. That's that's a lot of changes is uh, are happening. Um, and it's truly a reminder how technology is really a part of everything and uh, how important it is to handle this industry with diplomacy in order to achieve these common goals and secure the democracy. Yeah, I could not agree more, Emma. And it's also crazy to see how impactful crypto and Bitcoin and blockchain have been all over the world. I mean, El Salvador is, you know, heavily embracing Bitcoin. And, you know, I remember hearing about Kazakhstan in the news not too long ago about how they were like a huge crypto mining hub and the crisis in Ukraine, um, the official Twitter account of Ukraine actually specified that donations could be made to them via Bitcoin, Ethereum, or USDT. What do you make of that? Yeah, so I do believe that crypto can in many ways be a medium for freedom. And there are organizations such as the Human Rights Foundation who proponents cryptocurrencies as a way of financial inclusion and a way to circumvent financial exclusion and the financial control of tyrants. So it's like specifically very useful for countries with less valuable and stable currencies, especially when it comes to making donations when it counts. Um, so there's a lot of advantages. It, donating in crypto is fast. It's much quicker than SWIFT, where it will take at least a day for the money to actually get to where it's supposed to be. And there's no one to ask whether you can send the money or not. There's no one to check or question the large sums of money. So like a traditional bank would go, this looks suspicious, let's, let's stop this transaction. But when it comes to crypto, there's no one to do that. And that sort of creates a freedom of itself. Um, no one will, uh, is no one there to take your keys. If you own your keys, you're in charge. I, yeah, wow, that's, uh, it's very true. Um, and I guess perhaps we've discussed cryptocurrency quite a bit today, um, but are there any other technologies that banks are looking at these days? 
yeah, we have a lot on our radar we, uh, that we are keeping track of. So you can find all the buzzwords, basically, such as metaverse, Web3, AI, VR, AR, quantum computing, more specific areas of crypto, such as DeFi and CBDC. So we work independent of tech, meaning that, for example, in other banks, you might find a similar lab specifically for AI or AI or blockchain. But we want to do a broad exploration of a lot of tech and we might fail a lot, but ultimately it gives us a portfolio of options. And we like to define our projects by why, how and what, where anything can really be the answer. Um, this technological optionality gives DNB a better and more uh, strategic optionality, basically. So, like I said earlier, the, given these technologies, how can we use them to shape what a bank is tomorrow? And how can we create a future where people and organizations have more peace of mind and are able to do more of what matters to them? Wow, yeah. So I, what I hear you say is that banks are actually moving more and more away from the traditional systems in almost every aspect of the industry. And um, could you say um, that Norway is a country that stands out when it comes to anything that we've discussed today? Yeah, I think we have a lot of trust in our banks. Um, and therefore, I don't think crypto will disrupt our day-to-day -day life anytime soon. But with the financial services we have in Norway today, I think we stand out positively by being one of the more digitized countries. We have Bank ID, our electronic ID. Um, we have VIPs, our uh, common collaboration of the from the biggest banks of Norway, where we can pay each other uh, by using our phones. We have common infrastructure that simplifies a lot of processes that might be more manual in many other countries. Wow, that's super cool and interesting to hear about. So, Ada, what is the direction forward? And what does DNB see in the near future? Who knows? Um, as I said, we've never known as much as we know today about how little we know about tomorrow. Wow, those are some powerful last words, I think. Yeah, it was a pleasure to have you here with us today. Thank you so much for, for coming, Ada. And we want to thank you all at home for tuning in today. See you next time. Thank you for listening to our Tech Diplomacy podcast. Please follow us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts for more episodes.